Today we conclude our four-part series on the Lord's Prayer as a framework for our faith. Now, if you are a careful student of the Bible, and I'm sure you are, using a contemporary translation such as the English Standard Version, you might wonder if the series isn't already completed. In your Bible, both in Matthew and Luke, the Lord's Prayer ends with the phrase, lead us not into temptation, although last week I suggested that it might more helpfully be translated, do not bring us to the test. Matthew then adds, but deliver us from evil. But neither Matthew nor Luke continue with the final sentence in the version we use. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The reason for this omission in modern translations is because the earliest Greek manuscripts of the New Testament do not include it. Protestants use it, while Roman Catholics do not, because it is in the King James Version of the Bible. But should we omit it, because Matthew and Luke did not include it, which suggests that Jesus did not make it part of his teaching on prayer? Surprisingly, I think the answer is no. The final sentence, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, is in the form of a doxology or a prayer of praise to God our Heavenly Father. The German scholar Joachim Jeremiah suggests that in first century Judaism, there were two ways to end a prayer, with a fixed conclusion or with a conclusion formulated freely by the supplicant, which was called the seal. Originally, the Lord's Prayer, says Jeremiah, was a prayer with a free conclusion added and expressed by the person praying it. Tertullian, an early Christian father, in his treatise on prayer, confirms this, explaining that private prayers were always added to the Lord's Prayer. As time passed, the free-form doxology became standardized in Christian worship in the form we now use. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And these words represent our response to all that Jesus sets out for us in the first three sentences of the prayer. The amen, or so be it, is our assent to all that we have prayed. But the phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, praises God for his ability to bring about all that the Lord's Prayer promises, which is, after all, a great deal the establishment of his kingdom, the provision of our necessities, the forgiveness of our sins, and our protection from evil. So it is an important and useful part of the prayer as we know it. But the last sentence of the Lord's Prayer is more than a doxology praising God. For if we affirm that the kingdom and the power and the glory the power to establish it and the glory that results from its establishment belong to God, then by clear implication, they do not belong to us. In praising God, we are also 
surrendering ourselves into his care. It's not our kingdom. We do not have the power to achieve these promises. And for their achievement, all the credit belongs to God. This is an admission of our inability to save ourselves, and it involves a surrender of our lives and hopes and destiny to God. So the fourth and final sentence of the Lord's Prayer is our response to the promises and commands in the first three sentences, and a wonderful way to recommit ourselves to Jesus. We may be confident, I think, that if the words were not in Jesus' original formulation of the prayer, he fully intended and is very pleased that the Holy Spirit has inspired such a concluding response from his people over many centuries. With this understanding of the importance of the fourth sentence, the word order of the contemporary version, which you see on the right-hand side of the overhead screen, I would like to recommend. It's a slight alteration. It reads, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. First, we acknowledge these mighty promises, kingdom and power and glory, and then we give them over to God with the words, are yours. I also like now and forever rather than forever and ever because it reminds me that God is sovereign in my life today and not only at the end of time. His kingdom, power, and glory are already manifested, if not fully manifested. Now, our readings today, as you may have noticed, celebrate the truth expressed by the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, that surrender is at the heart of prayer and worship. In Genesis chapter 12, Abram is called to leave everything he knows, his country, his kindred, and his father's house, to journey to a strange land. True, he is promised a great blessing. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But this is from a God with whom he apparently had no previous relationship. Yet we read, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. Twice in this passage, Abram builds altars in this strange new land of Canaan and calls on the name of the Lord. But the heart of his worship is not building altars. The heart of his worship is in his obedience. And his obedience meant the surrender of his identity and security and life plans to the Lord. You and I talk about such radical redirection, especially when recounting conversion experiences. But the world and the flesh and the devil are continuing influences on us, and we need to surrender each day. In Psalm 40, David celebrates the Lord's rescue of him and promises to tell of God's wondrous deeds. And then he goes on to celebrate what God has revealed to him by giving him an open ear. It is this, that burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then he says, I have come to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. David understands that ritual sacrifice is not the essence of obedience, 
but a heart surrendered to God's purposes. Could you and I make this our prayer each morning? I have come to do your will, O my God, and await a reply from God that just might reorder our day. In Romans 12, Paul appeals to us to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, because this is our spiritual worship, not our outward formalistic worship, but the worship that proceeds from the Holy Spirit working in us. Now let's get very honest for a moment. Why do we come here Sunday by Sunday, even on hot afternoons? To see friends? Not a bad reason. To give thanks to God when our week has gone well? Not a bad reason. To seek for comfort and inspiration and uplift when our week has gone badly? Not a bad reason. To feel a connection with Christian parents and grandparents and siblings and friends now that we are living far away from them? Not a bad reason. But none of these reasons will be truly satisfying unless we come here to surrender ourselves, to set ourselves apart as living sacrifices dedicated to God. There is no substitute for that at the heart of worship, and yet how often I neglect it. It is from that ongoing surrender in corporate worship and private prayer, that renewal of our minds and the discovery of God's will for our lives will follow, without which our minds are dark and our way lost. Surrender is the heart of worship. Surrender is the heart of prayer. Is it just a coincidence that the gesture for praising God and the gesture for putting down your weapon and surrendering are the same. Put your hands up. Finally, in our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns us against trying to have it both ways, serving God and money. He says, no. If what you value is your net worth, that is where your heart will be. But if your eye is generous, in the context that's the meaning of the word healthy, if your eye is generous towards the needs of others, you will be full of light, God's light. And serving God means surrendering to him. He won't have you on any other terms. He won't be your partner, your consultant, your last-ditch resource. No, he is your father and your king, and you and I must acknowledge this, not just verbally, but by personal surrender. Now do you see why it's important to end the Lord's Prayer for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. I want now to shift, if I may, from a teaching mode to a meditative mode. I want to go through the Lord's Prayer with you 
not rattling it off as a pious formula, but pondering it phrase by phrase. I want to ask you to close your eyes, get in a comfortable position, and breathe deeply. I want you to imagine that you are in that prison cell we've mentioned, alone without a Bible, or sitting on your bed at the start of a new day, or waiting at the doctor's office when he's running rather late. Hear these phrases and meditate on them. I'll use the contemporary version to make it fresher. Our Father in heaven, who is God for you? Who are you for God? Do you trust that relationship? Hallowed be your name. Are you making God's name holy by word and deed or trivializing it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You really believe this will happen? If not, why not? If yes, do you want to be part of it? Are you part of it? Give us today our daily bread. What do you really need for the rest, for the next 24 hours? And what about a friend or a neighbor you're concerned for? What do they need? Forgive us our sins. You know what to do here. You've already had a chance to do it in our confession. But do you feel forgiven? Are you in fact forgiven? Do you believe this? As we forgive those who sin against us, now who would that be? Can you set aside your desire for revenge, your feelings of hatred, your impulses of rejection, and will and work the best for them, which is agape love? Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. What tests are coming for you? What tests are you currently experiencing? Can God help you better endure them? Can you help anyone else who is being tested?
For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Come on, give it up. Give it over. Get with the program. Hands up in praise and surrender. If you have not already done so, please open your eyes. If you found that helpful, I would urge you regularly, not just to recite the Lord's Prayer, but to meditate on it phrase by phrase. Some phrases will generate much dialogue with God, others less so. And this will change over time, depending on your situation. But use the Lord's Prayer the only scripture you may know by heart as a framework for your faith. Amen.